Thanks very much for listening to this week's Tech Law 10. I'm Jonathan Armstrong. I'm based here at Cordray in London. And this is one of our regular chats uh, across the Atlantic on technology law matters that affect us all. Uh, Eric Sinrod is over in San Francisco. And maybe I'll give a hint of this week's topic, Eric, by saying this is ground control. Lawyer Eric, over to you. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jonathan. Yes, this is Eric Sinrod and Dwayne Morris for your weekly Tech Law 10. Um, I guess this is a little bit interesting and also a tad, well, more than a tad sad. And it has to do with, we, we generally pronounce his name over here, David Bowie. For some people, we even say David Bowie. I know you've said where you are, it's David pronounced Bowie. Bowie. But we'll just, we'll just <laughs> call him David right now. And sadly, we lost David last week. And do you know, Jonathan, that he was an Internet predictor and precursor? Did you know that? I did well, know that, yeah. Yeah, most of us remember his songs, and there's so many, and they're so varied across the decades. And, of course, there's no way, Jonathan, to forget David's ever-changing image over the years. But not oh. to be lost in the shuffle is the fact that Bowie, a.k.a. Bowie, was such an innovator, he also anticipated uh, the full Internet. So let me explain. Uh, David's prescience... Uh, when it came to the Internet was explained actually rather fully in a recent article in The Verge. But let's delve in a, back, a bit here. Um, as far back as 1994, which from an Internet standpoint is you know, prehistoric times, uh, David issued a CD-ROM accompanying his song uh, called Jump, they say. And this enabled users to create their own music videos. Following up on that, two years later in 1996, David released his song, Telling Lies, only on the Internet, which back then was just astounding. And it actually caused a stunning 300,000 online purchases uh, back when Internet sales were hardly ever heard of. Um, mm. <laughs> along the way, uh, Bowie, a.k.a. Bowie, assisted our baseball team, the New York Yankees, in creating their very first Internet site. Then, amazingly, in 1998, David, and this is pretty important, he created his own Internet uh, service provider. Uh, this, Jonathan, was an ISP that allowed users on the Internet to access many of his songs, videos, and photos. Uh, this ISP fittingly was called BowieNet, or BowieNet, and users paid uh, 1995 $19.95 per month uh, for this service. They were given five megabytes—excuse me, I'm sorry—five megabytes of space to create their own personal sites, where they could insert music and videos into regular web pages. So, what does this sound like? Well, in effect, this was a music-oriented social network long before the advent of MySpace and then Facebook. And this is also interesting before I turn it over to you, Jonathan, for your thoughts. When interviewed years ago about the coming Internet, David said, quote, we're on the cusp of something exhilarating and terrifying, close quote. He then described the Internet as a, quote, communal power, close quote. And he said, quote, I don't think we've even seen the tip of the iceberg 
close quote, in terms of that power. And he foresaw that, quote, what the Internet is going to do to society, both good and bad, is unimaginable, close quote. So he was always ahead of his time, David Bowie, Bowie, and he's quite missed now. And I'm very interested, Jonathan, in your thoughts on this topic. Yeah, I, I think I've many and varied, really. I mean, I think it is uh, very interesting, and I've taken the chance to watch again that interview with Jeremy Paxman, a well-known, rather skeptical, rather fierce uh, news anchor from over here. And um, Paxman does sort of look a dinosaur um, in the way in which he, and I guess it's the job of the interviewer, almost pours cold water on, on, on Bowie's predictions there. But I think it's probably interesting in, in some respects, his you know, professional life went through a whole gamut of uh, technological changes. And in some respects, his music echoes that as well, both in terms of the way in which that music is created. You know, if you look quite guitar-focused early on and then moving through uh, synthesizers and so on as they become more prevalent and more, uh, you know, I guess, uh, instruments in the musician's uh, armory. But also in terms of content as well, you know, if you look at the some of the earlier hits are obviously clearly space-obsessed because in the late 60s that was the technological uh, cutting mm. edge. And then, uh, uh, and then again, that moves to reflect the mood of the time as technologies changing and, and and it is in some respects um you know just as they say that in olden days you could track the history of a civilization by looking at its architecture then perhaps to be a little deep for once maybe in future times we'll be able to track the history of civilization by the music it was listening to <laughs> at different times um but i agree with you that the isp i mean when you think that the alternatives around that time were uh, uh, you know, AOL, for example, which would charge roughly the same amount for less. This was a sort of um, a democratization, if you like, of, uh, you know, a community group. Admittedly, the community was people who like me, but a group of like-minded individuals that could get together and interact with each other. I didn't download music in the mid-90s. I, I, uh, my only qualm is I hate to think what it sounded like if you were trying to dial up over a dial-in modem over those, uh, uh, over those low bandwidths we had then. And I guess right. that's another thing that's changed enormously in the last 20 years or so. You know, if we look at um, uh, you know, fast... Uh, broadband versus the dial-up connections that we had <laughs> there. I mean, I guess even a mobile connection is hugely quicker than a dial-in of the of the BowieNet days. But I agree with you. I think it's um, you know sad, sad that he's passed, and we. Uh, but it's interesting to look at how his professional life has encompassed so many different technologies, and how he, like other uh, other people in the music industry, you know, we look at people like i guess will i am these days who mm -hmm. are prepared to uh you know merge those boundaries between technology and the internet and music and and push that envelope and the world's a richer place for them 
yeah, is art imitating life or is life imitating art? Uh, but you make a really good point about how Bowie's music changed to reflect uh, how we were oriented toward technology over time. A really good point there. Um, this, this well, is, uh, ju- just one other thought, though. Uh, there, there is actually a great uh, uh, story that also illustrates the development of technology that, that, um, that I might just add. Um, there's a great letter doing the rounds from his first ever U.S. fan. I don't know whether you've seen it, Eric, but the letter is basically uh, Bowie's been in his agent's, uh, his manager's office, and he's been shown the first bit of fan mail from somebody in the U.S. And according to the letter, he was so moved, he borrowed a typewriter, and it's a typed letter back to the fan to say, you know, you don't know how much this means. I now have somebody listening to me in the U.S. I hope to visit there one day. So, I mean, just as we've talked about the immediacy of of communications and the, you know, uh, crossing of the Atlantic on a regular basis, et cetera, et cetera, you know, that that perhaps, perhaps there's no better illustration of the change than he had to borrow a typewriter and sat down and typed out a letter um, I guess I think this was '69 time to uh, to a fan who'd written to him. It reminds me of a time when one of my daughters, when she was young, she saw a typewriter and she said, "Look, Daddy, an ancient computer." <laughs> but uh, in, in terms of Bowie, I I listened to an interesting um, live interview of him from 2002. It was an interview by Terry Gross on our our NPR program over here, National Public Radio, called uh, Fresh Air. And she was asking, you know, what the meaning was behind his changing fashion over time, his changing music, his gender bending. What was the meaning? And his ultimate answer was it was anti-meaning. He was basically saying he was changing and moving around in terms of form, fashion, and music because the ultimate point was you could do that to show there really wasn't some ultimate meaning. Uh, He expressed it far better than I did uh, in that interview, but it really showed his uh, appreciation for art, music, technology, his incredible intelligence. And I certainly had a difficult time, you know, trying to sort of express his own thoughts. He did it so well. But, you know, we really have lost a giant. And um, it is sad, but it's, it's also fascinating to look, to look back over his very diverse career. Um, so that being said, this has been your Tech Law 10 for the week. This is Eric Sinrod in San Francisco. You can reach me by email at ejsinrod at duanemorris.com if that doesn't seem too prehistoric these days. Uh, you can find us on all the social media outlets. They do not include BowieNet, but they certainly include LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. And I will turn it back to Jonathan. Uh, ground control to Major Armstrong. <laughs> well, thanks much. And um, uh, thanks to you all for listening. Thanks to Eric for suggesting the topic. We'll be back with you in a week or so with something else. I'm uh, jonathan.armstrong at cordrycompliance.com. As Eric said, you can connect with us in all sorts of social media ways via that new invention, the satellite. And um, we look forward to speaking to you again in a week or so. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Where?